You're listening to WNYC's podcast, featuring the best 2018 midterms coverage from our talk shows and our award-winning local newsroom. Keep in mind, some segments may be edited for length. You can find the full shows on your favorite podcast app. Brian Lehrer on WNYC, and now we continue our series, Primarily New York, in advance of the New York State primary, Thursday, yes, Thursday of next week, September 13th. And just as Andrew Cuomo and Cynthia Nixon are running against each other for the Democratic nomination for governor, they are aligned with lieutenant governor candidates, Kathy Hochul, who is Cuomo's current lieutenant governor, and they're running together again, and Brooklyn City Council member Jamani Williams, who is running for lieutenant governor and supporting Cynthia Nixon. We will talk to Jamani Williams now, Kathy Hochul tomorrow, and one important thing about this race is that you can split your ticket. This is another decision that if you're going to vote in the Democratic primary next Thursday, you get to make and you have to make. You can split your ticket. You can vote for Cuomo and Jamani Williams if you choose, or Nixon and Kathy Hochul if you choose. Ultimately, in the fall, when they're running against Republicans, um, they run as a unified ticket. But in the primary, you can choose your gubernatorial candidate and choose your lieutenant gubernatorial candidate. So we thank Councilmember Williams for coming in and doing a campaign interview. Hi, welcome back to WNYC. Thank you. Always a pleasure to be here. Do you see yourself as coming from the progressive wing of the party to Hochul's more establishment wing? Is that a good starting point? That, that is a pretty good uh, description. I've considered myself a progressive. Uh, you know, it can be defined in different ways, particularly now that everybody's adopting the moniker, uh, who I've never heard adopted before. I've always considered myself uh, one of the crazy lefty folks uh, on the liberal side. And we've been precisely saying, uh, you know, I'm an activist, elected official. That's actually one of the things people used to complain about. Uh, but now in 2018, it's popular, so everybody's trying to Varnish their activist credentials, even though I haven't seen them in the street. But that's a different, a different conversation. But what do, what do you mean, crazy, crazy leftist? Because you know, if you're the nominee, they'll use that against you in a campaign commercial. Uh, that's probably true. Um, I don't, you know, all the whether it's uh, crazy lefty folks, whether it's I think the, the New York Times actually called me the agitator, uh, troublemaker. Um, you know, I have no problem with those words because those words have been described have been used to describe so many people in history uh, that have agitated, that have uh, disrupted the status quo and made life better for Americans in this country. So I don't let those words trouble me. I'll adopt them and say that's fine. But I have been a productive activist elected official. I have been a productive agitator, uh, having passed more pieces of legislation than any sitting council member being uh, ranked as the most productive council member after the speaker. So it wasn't just about being an agitator. It's about being productive. And unfortunately, we have establishment elected officials who are now talking about things that activists have helped make popular, whether it's bail reform, whether it's uh, using, uh, um, sorry, legalizing marijuana, even adopting messages that many of us were speaking about before uh, during the presidential race. It's just amazing to see. And I think the governor and the lieutenant governor actually, I, it's funny to see them fumbling around with concepts that they just haven't been used to speaking about. So those are examples, and I know Cynthia Nixon is using them too, uh, more progressive positions that Cuomo has adopted because of pressure from activists. Are there any 
big policy differences that you would cite at the current time between you and Kathy Hochul running for lieutenant governor, who's your opponent in this primary? Well, I suspect what people hear, uh, uh, unfortunately, she hasn't been willing to debate me on prime time. She's debated on MNN. It's the only place, one county out of 62 counties. But if you... That's can, uh, public access TV in Manhattan. Yes, great TV. Just we want to make sure a, a broader people can see it. So if people go to MNN, they'll actually see the debate. What you will see was a very distinct, different approach to what this office can be. The current lieutenant governor believes that it should be the eyes and ears of the governor, should basically do and the, whatever the governor says to do. I fundamentally reject that. I want to be the eyes and ears of the people of the state of New York. I want to be the people's lieutenant governor. And it's not as sometimes the lieutenant governor tries to say, uh, an adversarial, pos- adversarial position. It is a position of partnership, but you should not equate partnership with rubber stamp. Right now, the position is really a ceremonial role, primarily ribbon cuttings. I don't want to take away the ribbon cuttings because they're fun, uh, but I think there should be, I know there should be substance to the role. And most people are just learning about who the lieutenant governor is and what the lieutenant governor does because of its ceremonial position. I believe that there's a public advocate in the city of New York. There's nothing like that on the state, and people have been suffering. And that's the point of view of the position I want to take for that job working with the governor, whether it is a he, uh, I'm hoping a she, uh, come September, uh, come November, whomever it is, work with them to get things done in the state. But when that's not happening, what's been missing has been the courage of someone to step up, step out, and say the emperor has no clothes, and say that people are suffering for lack of action. And listeners, we can take some phone calls for City Council Member from Brooklyn, Jamani Williams, who is now running for the Democratic nomination for Lieutenant Governor in next Thursday's New York State primary. If you have a question for Jamani Williams, 212-433-WNYC, 212-433-9692. And again, the other candidate in this race, the incumbent Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul, will be here tomorrow for the same thing. Um, Staying on that point, um, if you're comparing what you want the lieutenant governor's job to be to public advocate in New York City, which is a watchdog on the rest of city government, um, can you be a team with Governor Cuomo? Uh, can you be enough of a team with Governor Cuomo? Or what would you have been a watchdog? How would you have criticized him over the past four years? This is interesting. The first, first the answer is yes. But I want to... M- you know, if the governor believes everything that he is now saying of late, then I'm the type of lieutenant governor that he would want because I'm saying the same thing with a history of actually getting it done, whether it's politically expedient or not. The fact that it matters, the problem is, comes when there's lip service but not action. So we take something like the Excelsior program uh, that until it's finally been revealed in the public uh, of a sham has been touted as a universally free tuition in the across the state. There are only 3% of students that have this across the state. For higher ed. For higher education. I come from City University of New York. I'm a public school baby from preschool and masters. Less than 2% of CUNY students have it. As a lieutenant governor who has the courage to step out, I would have said, look, we either present this possibly as a pilot program that we're going to extend, expand, or we do some real free tuition. But we're not going to misinform the public, which seems to happen over and over with the programs that are put forth. 
whether it's corruption in the Buffalo buildings, maybe someone has to say we should not take money from people we're about to give uh, a billion dollars to. Maybe we should point out the actions that are happening uh, with Joe Pococo before he has to go on trial. These things should be discussed in a room and try our best to figure it out. That's what happens in government. On the Excelsior scholarships, um, I think Cuomo would say something to the effect of, hey, look, we did it. We have free public college in New York State, but the approach that New York State is taking currently is they will provide those last dollars after the students have gotten whatever scholarships, whatever they can, uh, uh, whatever, you know, whatever other funding streams are going into their education without things coming out of their pockets. Um, and they will, and the state will provide the last dollars in terms of the Excelsior Scholar. That's not the same as just tuition is free at every CUNY and SUNY school, but it accomplishes the same thing, they would argue, um, without, uh, without as much expense to the taxpayers. What's your response? Uh, the argument would be wrong. They presented a false uh, premise. We do not have free tuition. We have a semblance of a program that 97% of the students across the state cannot get them. That is for some of the reasons you said, and also the confusion of even to apply to the point where they had to silence the people who worked in SUNY and CUNY from complaining because they were saying they don't even have the proper instructions. And what I found with this government is that there's more smoke and mirrors to a program. So even when you go to celebrate, when you take away the smoke and mirrors, you see it's not at all what was presented. Take fracking, for example. For example, there's been a celebration. We're no longer fracking in, in New York State. I was endorsed by five capital region elected officials in front of a frac plant in the middle of the Prococo scandal that the governor is trying to build to accept frac gas from Pennsylvania. And these are conversations that should be happening. And as I was saying, they should be happening in a room so we can try to figure it out. But what is missing is the second part. When that conversation in private is not fruitful, someone has to step up for the people of the state of New York, and we've been missing that. So no fracking in New York wouldn't be enough for you. Um, an article on Cuomo and Cranes today says he has made New York the most progressive state in the U.S., angering business leaders. And then you go down the list of what Cuomo supporters point to, statewide universal pre-K, that statewide ban on fracking, a $15 minimum wage, gun control like activists want to see nationwide, background checks, assault weapons ban, big magazine ban, same-sex marriage through the legislature before the Supreme Court weighed in, family and medical leave. Is that not a big but, ticket? But again, do, you, do, you, do you argue with Crane's assertion that um, New York is now the most progressive state in the U.S.? Is there one under a governor, another governor that's more so? Uh, the problem is the people of New York State are. The leadership is not. So if we can break down so many of those things, starting from the last paid families leave, uh, there were so many people left out. That's why the mayor of this city uh, uh, had to, uh, Mayor de Blasio had to be uh, work out something with the UFT because municipalities and uh, unions were allowed to opt out if they wanted to. Minimum wage, which is something Lieutenant Governor <laughs> surprisingly said she was the face of. Actually, unions and people of more color were. And when this establishment 
electors told us it couldn't be done. I was on the street in Wendy's trying to get people their job back for for protesting and causing boycotts in Wendy's. It was activists who pushed these things that people told us we absolutely could not do. And so, so many of those issues only came, what I've seen, even in marriage equality, uh, we followed some other people. I have seen not leadership from this governor. I've seen followership at best. So yes, there are some things, but if you take away the smoke and mirrors, they're much smaller than we thought, and we followed people. And the lieutenant governor believes the job is to follow the followership of the follower. I don't want to have people who are responding to political wins. I'm one of those people who have joined folks who are creating the political wins, and we have the courage to step forth. And because the, the, it's right. the particular point on fracking is that you and Cynthia Nixon, you can tell me if this is her position too, say it's not good enough to just not frack in New York. We have to not accept any gas that came from fracking in any other state. Well, uh, Cynthia would, would speak. Uh, I'm not sure uh, if I know her exact uh, wording on this. Okay. Uh, I, I'm sure it's similar to mine. And the short answer is yes. I mean, you can't tell people it's bad for us to do it and accept the same bad thing from another state, even as the people of the state of New York don't even know that's what you're doing. And so you get to celebrate something, which is normally what happens with these uh, celebrations. But when you peel away the layers, it gets smellier and smellier. And at minimum, there has to be someone who's going to hold that in check. He gets away with this because there's no one there. I'm thankful and supporting Cynthia Nixon because she's adopted my vision of what this lieutenant governor's office can and should do. The governor has not because he excels when no one is there to shine a light on what's happening. Brooklyn City Council member Jamani Williams, our guest on WNYC as he runs for the Democratic nomination for New York State Lieutenant Governor in next Thursday's New York primary. We'll have the incumbent Lieutenant Governor allied with Governor Cuomo, Kathy Hochul, on tomorrow's show. And our phone number, 212-433-WNYC. If you want to ask Jumani Williams a question, 212-433-9692. Before we go to some calls, the harshest criticism against you has been from your positions or past positions on LGBTQ and abortion rights, that you have stated your personal belief that marriage is between a man and a woman and that you are personally opposed to abortion. The National Organization for Women, for example, has endorsed Hochul for exactly those reasons. Why shouldn't that be disqualifying for progressives? It's interesting. That letter that was sent out, uh, we have seen a picture of uh, them working with Governor Cuomo to make sure the letter uh, was okay. And so it's just interesting to see that. They cannot attack my uh, history as a legislator, as a legis- legislator and an activist, so they kind of um, use splices of interviews to make it seem as a, I was opposed to something that I'm not. I support marriage equality. I support a woman's right to access safe and legal abortions. In the same interviews that they splice out wording from, I encourage people to read them because you'll see that even as they're trying to distort what the message is, what you'll also gently see is just someone uh, of faith making sure they explain that you can't use faith as an excuse and that everyone has to protect the civil rights of everyone or no one has these rights. And it was just a matter of explaining how in my lifetime I've reconciled being a person of faith and making sure that there is marriage equality and that women have a right to access safe and legal abortions, period. 
personal. I mean, it's it's a weird thing because this is about with abortion. This is a woman's issue. I'm never going to have an abortion. <laughs> what I have to do is ensure that a woman has a right to safe legal access to abortion, and I've actually always done that. Now, and my and my voting record says that. Unlike uh, my the lieutenant governor, who has opposed things like driver's license for immigrants, saying that she'll turn them over to ICE, or getting a rating from the NRA over Chris Collins, and voting for concealed carry reciprocity so people can bring guns into uh, this uh, state. I have never voted a way that would make someone think I'm not a progressive. And what she'll always say, oh, I came from a conservative part of town. And people, unfortunately, when you look at race and, and class, people will give credit there. Uh, I actually came from a conservative area. The Caribbean community has been socially conservative on issues. Uh, I grew up in the church. And still, I had the courage of my convictions to make sure I never did anything to hurt communities. One thing on your voting record the National Organization of Women pointed to the fact that you abstained on a city council vote in 2014 to allow people to change their gender on their birth certificate without getting surgery. Why didn't you vote yes or no on that bill? Well, I'm very excited to have the Trans United Fund endorsement and the Jim Owls Club. Uh, Jim Owls is a very activist uh, LGBTQ uh, club, and Trans United Fund do work for transgendered brothers and sisters across the country. I'm excited to have their support. That vote had primarily everything to do uh, with midwives who I respect dearly. I had more questions of why they were on the list of medical professions who could provide medical diagnosis. Uh, I said that then, and I say I said it now. I'm actually on the bill, uh, currently used uh, to have an even stronger ability to change uh, gender on uh, licenses and, and passport. And there's no mention there of uh, medical diagnosis. That was the only reason. And that's why I have the endorsement of Trans United Fund. Uh, once you explain what the issue was, uh, there is no issue at all. Actually, the largest expansion of the LGBT community in about 10 years came from a bill I had, which had to do with policing and the abuse to stop question frisk. We made sure sexual orientation was in there. We made sure gender identity was covered and are now protected classes from bias-based policing. The bathroom bill that my colleague uh, Danny Drum put forth came from my committee. Uh, so I have a wonderful history in making sure the LGBT community is protected and that women reproductive justice, which is a broader conversation that no one seems to be talking about, uh, includes uh, abortion rights, uh, are talked about and supported. Jamani Williams, my guest, city council member from Brooklyn, running for the Democratic nomination for New York State Lieutenant Governor in next Thursday's New York primary. And Liza in Croton on Hudson, you're on WNYC. Hello, Liza. Oh, hi. Um, yeah, so I have a question um, about fracked gas. You say you're against fracked natural gas, um, but if Indian Point nuclear plant closes, what would replace its generation capacity? Um, I don't think efficiency measures would be enough in the short term, especially because the nuclear power is low carbon. Oh, that's a very good question. I would invite uh, uh, the, the caller and other people to go to my website uh, because I have a plan that I put out months ago uh, called Fairness Fees. Uh, it is $20 billion, and it's not pie in the sky. It's real, $20 billion, B, billion with a B, of money that can be collected right now if we had the right leadership and real Democrats in the state Senate. Um, one of them we used to collect until the 80s, and we just stopped. We now 
collect stock transfer from Wall Street in the tune of $14 billion, and we literally write a, write a check back. I mentioned that because there are specific areas where I said we can build out with that $20 billion. And also, the only reason we don't have it is because the governor put an arbitrary spending cap, not to be confused with the property tax cap, but saying even if we can collect money, not allowing governments to uh, local governments to spend it, which with no discussion with the legislature or local uh, municipalities. But it can not only affect housing, real income target housing, education, transportation, climate. We have to build out the infrastructure for renewable energy so we don't have to depend on Indian Point or fracking. I'm also calling for a new New Deal because in building out that infrastructure, like we've done in the past, there's a whole host of jobs that will be real, unlike the no jobs we've seen from the $5 billion that the governor has put forth in different measures that have not created jobs. Liza, thank you. Arturo in Manhattan. You're on WNYC. Hello, Arturo. Yes, hello, brother. Uh, Brother Giamatti, I'm born and raised in New York City. I, along with tens of thousands of black, white, Jew, non-Jew, became dope fiends. Now, how can you support your argument that we're going to put drugs in for the new immigrant blacks that are in town right now so they can destroy themselves? Uh, And one other question. Just just to be clear, are you talking about legalizing recreational marijuana? No, marijuana. The Jewish people, it's recreational. To the black community, it was destruction because it opened the door for heroin and cocaine and crack and everything else. And if you look at New York history, the racist liberals and progressives that you talk about always give us, the black people, the bottom shrift when it comes to being able to justify the fact that we were victims just like their children were. Jamani, please speak on this because this character that's on here, he's, 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 he's two-faced. Thank you. Uh, well, thank you for that call. Uh, I, I, I do, first, I do agree uh, racism is not uh, limited just to the right. So <laughs> I think both uh, folks are aware of that. I do tend to believe on the left there are so many more policies that are easier to support. But thank you for, for your question. Directly speaking, I, I would posit this. I don't know too many people who would like to smoke marijuana, but don't because they say it's illegal. I believe people who want to smoke marijuana uh, smoke marijuana. I believe it is unfairly and unequitably adjudicated. And so the legalizing of it, it's basically been, for lack of a better word, legal in one community for quite some time and not in the other. And it's the adjudication of 80% of people who get stopped and summons or arrested for marijuana usage or black and brown, but all communities, including white communities, use marijuana at the same time same rate. And so the legalizing is a basic way of just making it more equitable, I'm a race, uh, particularly on a, a race equity issue. More importantly, what's missing from that discussion is talking about the expungement of records. Uh, I don't know if the governor uh, the lieutenant governor has the courage to discuss it. Seattle not only legalized it, they expunged the records going back 30 years. Now that's progressive. Again, we're following uh, in this conversation. And more importantly, when it is legal, ensuring that the communities that the caller spoke about have access to be able to sell the product that too many of them have been criminalized and been put in prison in to feed their families. Right now, the governor, lieutenant governor, supported the small kind of uh, medical marijuana that's being legalized. And in their support, they said that if you have a criminal record, you can't even sell that. And so this is, again, hitting the same communities that they then go to for votes. And someone has to call that out. He's, he, the caller seemed to be saying that marijuana has a different 
impact in the black community than in the white community. He said Jewish community, you know, so I should acknowledge that he said Jewish community. Obviously, the more proper term would be to say, I think, more broadly, whites in general, uh, but that there's actually a different impact when there's widespread drugs in, I guess he was saying, low-income communities of color. Well, he's correct. I think my point of view is legalizing marijuana and expunging the records and allowing access to people who even have criminal records to sell it is a way to rectify some of that. When you talk about it, it's a, it looks you in the face and smacks you sometimes, the hypocrisy of how we deal with things. You look at what's happening at the opioid crisis and who is perceived to be primarily affected by it, and you see people treating people who are addicted as human beings who need a problem, who have a problem that need assistance. That is the correct way of dealing with it. But you look at other drugs in the black and brown community, when they were treated as crack whores, when they were treated as people who were criminals, even though they had substance abuse issues and have criminal records and some of them still in jail now, we see the hypocrisy and inequity of how we even address that. Sheremy in Inwood, you're on WNYC, hello. Yes, good morning. Morning. Good morning, Jemani uh, Williams. Uh, you originally uh, told members of our community that you would vote no on Inwood rezoning, and then you changed your vote to abstain due to the nature of threats made against council member Edonis Rodriguez. I would like to know who's threatening city council members, coercing them into voting yes on the city rezonings. Well, thank you for that. That's a, I'll answer that, and then rezoning is a longer conversation. Um, I, I never said I would vote no. That, that didn't, would not have come out of my mouth. But I may have said I'm not going to support it, uh, which I didn't, uh, and I was fascinated. Those two things are different? Oh, yes. Uh, not supporting it, and voting yes. Yes is a complete support of uh, Inwood. And I, after uh, vacillating between abstention and voting no, I actually told my colleague I'm going to be voting no and, and was got ready to vote no. It came out during the, uh, uh, the stated meeting, which is the full council meeting, that there wasn't just normal threats. There was an like, Al-Qaeda-type threat posted on Facebook with a gentleman cutting someone's neck on Facebook uh, aimed at Idanis Rodriguez. I thought that was a little too far. Uh, I know the activists who were there. I don't think this was them. I'm a supporter of civil disobedience, so I encourage it, and uh, I have no problem with nonviolent protest. That one in particular, as a person who's received threats myself, most of them I don't make uh, public, I know what it's like to get those types. That was one of the worst I have seen. And, it, and for that reason, I said, you know what, I cannot support this uh, inward reason. But for that reason, at this moment in time, I'm going to abstain just for a nod to show that uh, we, we should not go that far. But rezonings in general have been, uh, most of them, I believe, have been a, a failure. Uh, my hope is that the uh, city council will reopen MIH, which I voted against, which is the basis for so many of these failed rezonings. Man and mandatory and inclusionary, inclusionary, ho- inclusionary housing. To, to a certain percentage of uh, yes. affordable units in any development. Now, we're now trying to clean up what should have been done when we voted on it. So I'm thankful that at least the administration and the city council are doing that. But we're missing out on so many. And people are focused on the big rezonings, and I hope people will focus on the smaller ones that come in almost on a monthly basis that no one is paying attention to. I have voted against or abstained on more zonings than most of my colleagues, except for one possibly. And I did that even as I was running for speaker, knowing that it would hurt my chances. It came up, I believe, in the MNN debate last week that you've abstained on more than 200 votes 
in city council. You were asked in the debate how that fits with your promise to be a bold, tell it like it is, lieutenant governor. How does it? Oh, you should look at uh, how most colleagues vote on rezoning. It's almost a unanimous yes. So voting no or abstaining, as I've done probably more than any other colleague besides one, maybe Councilmember Barrington, definitely fits into that. Uh, I did it as I was running for speaker. I was questioning questioning member deference, which is everyone voting yes with the member on rezonings but long that, before. But th- that wouldn't just be rezonings, 200 No, that was prim- primarily, right? uh, primarily housing and zonings. It is. Yeah, we, we asked that at the same debate. Asked at the same debate, he said yes. It's primarily land use. That is the only place I do that. Uh, and I, I do try my best to show collegiality where possible, even if I can't support the thing. Uh, and it's helped me get 49 pieces of legislation, right. tough pieces of legislation passed. We're just about out of time. We'll have... Your opponent, Kathy Hochul, in this uh, time tomorrow, uh, why don't you take our last minute and say anything you want to the voters of New York to convince them to vote Jamani Williams for lieutenant governor. Thank you. I'll be happy, and you can tell my opponent I'd be happy to debate here even on WNYC. Again, I believe this position doesn't have to be adversarial, but it should be available and ready to speak for the people when no one's doing that. When asked when the lieutenant governor has had opportunity to change the governor's mind, even in private, she had nothing to say. Uh, really could ha- not even answer that question. We need someone who's going to step up and stand out. Uh, another thing that might come up is, uh, I want to say, unemployment. I want to make sure people are clear. Unemployment seems high because they're now no longer counting people who have removed themselves from the labor force. And so there's so much work that needs to be done. So many issues that people are hearing are better than it is. From Buffalo to Brooklyn, there are issues that need to be speaked about. Violent crime and guns, as was spoken about with the SAFE Act, only deals with one issue. The reason we're down in gun violence in New York City and not in Buffalo and not in Albany, not in Suffolk County, is because there's true leadership from people like myself and others in community uh, groups that have talked about violence in a different way and funded community groups. We haven't done that across the state, and that's why gun violence is up 20 killings in Buffalo in a month with a fraction of the, there would be in the thousands if we had the same numbers here. That's the type of leadership we need, not someone who is supported by the NRA. NRA, by the way, endorsed my opponent over Chris Collins, who was the first person to uh, support Donald Trump. Back when Hochul was running for Congress yes. uh, n- a number of years ago. Jumani Williams running for lieutenant governor. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Politics Brief. If you want more, visit wnyc.org election.